Hello and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionel, writer and part of the McKee Storylogue team. So today we're going to be talking about prequels. Your opening sentence gets longer every time. Uh, I, it, I blame Mark Rosewater, uh, who does a podcast called Drive to Work. He's the head designer of Magic the Gathering. He does a podcast and he opens his with So Today. And in fact, I took him I, on Tumblr. He has a Tumblr and he has asked me anything. And I said, I found myself doing that at the start of every one of my podcasts. I blame you. And he went, it's all my fault. <laughs> so I feel validated Full by this. Full culpability. Yeah. So it's Mark's fault. So prequels. Mark Rosewater's fault. <laughs> uh, prequels. I'm going to talk about prequels. We're going to tell you how... Uh, tough prequels are and then we're going to give you an example of one that did it right which is Monsters University yes I'm giving away the ending there which is appropriate considering that's what prequels have to do oh mic drop yeah but not really because it's expensive yeah and also not in my hand okay so prequels prequels first problem with prequels would okay so one of the major problems with prequels is to do with the fact that we know the ending. So there's a problem of continuity, which is the audience is inherently thrust into dramatic irony. Because you know that this story can't violate the previous story, mm. but that story takes place after this one. So, for example, if you're doing a prequel, um, you can't kill off a character that is in the first film. Sure. Because if you do, then they go, wait a minute, that character... So even putting that character in jeopardy is difficult because... I was going to say, that must inherently be a problem with action yeah. prequels. It would be an inherent problem with action prequels. But if you did a prequel to a crime story, yeah, uh, you have a problem of, well, you know where the detective is. This is what happens, say, with Fargo. Fargo was a prequel. There are certain things we know can't happen. They can't put... Um, Molly's father in danger because really he can't die yeah because of that so there's certain things that we know can't happen and we know certain things have to come out a certain way and as a result um, it becomes it can become a real problem because it means you can't surprise your audience because as soon as you start down a path well they know where it's going to end and so you're trapped by your previous decisions and it makes sense because if those decisions if that story that you want to tell the prequel story was so great why didn't you tell that it was in the backstory. yeah and the reason it's in the backstory is because it's not supposed to be the thrust so why would you bother anyway but regardless you've decided to write a prequel well too bad you've got a problem now everyone knows how <laughs> it ends how are you going to deal with that so you've got to solve the fact that you don't know how it ends uh, sorry you have to solve the fact that the audience knows where every character is going to end up and they can even infer depending on the nature of characters that are in the prequel that weren't in the original something that has to happen to them you know like okay if this character is really important in the prequel well then he's not in the sequel that means he's not in the original that means by definition that there has to be a change that that character isn't involved in they die characters move whatever if they're in a different location you know they're going to leave that location etc etc so there's all kinds of things that you just inherently know are going to happen and if you don't 
give the audience indications of why they end basically the audience wants to know how they ended up in the start position of the original yeah so the prequel has to get them there but the audience knows where they're going so it's far less interesting so you have to find ways to turn the story but not violate where the story's going it's it's just a ridiculous thing essentially in that regard this is just an in uh, I mean you mentioned dramatic irony is this just yeah. an exercise in dramatic irony really well no because in dramatic irony you can hide things Which just, it, like Carlito's way or whatever oh I see you can okay. hide yeah. aspects damages you can hide aspects and then reveal yeah. them later in this you can't hide anything everything's and, out and not only that whatever you didn't show in the first one uh the audience presumes doesn't matter. You can't just sneak stuff in. You can't violate any of it. So, and in fact, if you did, the audience would get very annoyed because then what was the point in doing a prequel in the first place? Yeah, I've, I love this idea. There's this huge contradiction in continuity. Like, yeah. if you get if you're going to do something outlandish and huge, why wasn't it referenced in the original? Yes. But then, if you're going to do something else that's you know smaller, then why is it important enough that it deserves a prequel? Yeah. Why? Why? Why are we? What, what's going? What's the point of this thing? Which is often the big problem with prequels. Like, why are you telling a story that isn't the interesting story about these characters? Yeah. I mean, you have prequels that aren't really prequels. Temple of Doom is a prequel. It takes place a year before Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. But. Continuity is not a big deal for Raiders. No. And basically, Indiana Jones isn't allowed to die. Everything else about it is completely different. Short round. The uh, the Willy, the woman in it, the Mm. case. And Indiana Jones has built into him this sense of like, each of my stories is separate and and discontinuous from the other. It's very episodic. So, like the old kind of pulp novels. Yeah, right? and so the 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 fact that there's, it's it's not really you could do a prequel to Raiders, which would be about Indiana Jones and Belloc, yeah, and Marion, but then that would be a real prequel if you kept those characters and did that and showed how they ended up at the start of Raiders. But then you'd have the, all the problems I'm suggesting. Temple of Doom isn't really a prequel, sure. In that sense, it, do, it, it doesn't show you how the character no, got. It's to... no more. It's no more a prequel than say watching episode five of the Next Generation, uh, <laughs> and then watching episode three of the Next Generation would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prequels. It's not. It's really not that big a deal. The movies are. Uh, they're by the nature just episodes. Very discontinuous. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, other other prequels would have uh, a big th- problem. Um, in that sense, so you have you have to think about the the nature of you've said certain things were true and certain things have happened in the first story and in the second one. You can't really violate those things. Now you may realize, oh, such and such character was lying about something. Yeah, and then you can add subtext to previous things that were said so for example uh, the prequels of Star Wars make it clear that Obi-Wan is lying to Luke yeah. Vader betrayed and murdered your father right those prequels reveal that um, so there's certain things you can get away with uh, that you can sort of change because you can go hey so and so is lying you know but you couldn't actually have like Obi-Wan die in the prequels because that wouldn't that would, well, he's not dead <laughs> um, 
The X-Men, on the other hand, um, violated continuity repeatedly. Yeah, they just sort of done away with... They kind of just went, let's go back in the 60s and do a thing. And they did the thing. And everyone's like, that doesn't work with a lot of what you just said happened in the other three. And then they went in the second one, time travel. <laughs> time travel. And we're like, okay, you know what? Fine, because this is better than the others. <laughs> and then Apocalypse came out, and that wasn't very good. And um, it was okay. But that one had all kinds of problems with the And people were like, this doesn't make... I don't understand how any of this ties together anymore. Um, it, and and there were all... There's, like, the, the continuity... The... I enjoyed the sort of uh, 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 first class and what was the other one? Days, Days of, of Future, Future Past. Past. I enjoyed the sort of collective shrugging of shoulders from those prequels just like yeah you know it's fun so yeah yeah there's there's a sense of there is a sense of like it's also kind of a reboot as yeah. well as a prequel yeah and there's also a sense of hey actors and production <laughs> these things happen right um, sometimes things change and also there's a sense of look we didn't plan any of this but we want to tell it this and this would be pretty cool but there is a part of me that's like oh, these aren't really prequels they're really just a reboot and then when they brought in the original also, cast and did the time travel they went like it's time travel so can we just accept that there's going to be all kinds of <laughs> continuity problems like okay and then when they did Apocalypse they carried on making those same kind of mistakes and you go listen You've got to be somewhat consistent, okay? Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to believe that in 10 years, James McAvoy will look like Patrick Stewart. You know, that's not going to happen. Yeah. By aging the story 10 years every time, but you're filming it two years at a time and the cast isn't aging with it. You've created all kinds of bizarre things now where why Magneto will not age 30 years in 10 years. Like, that's not going to happen. So Maybe that's the fourth film. <laughs> X-Men days of aging future future age future. Um, so X-Men are fine unless you think about the continuity but then actually in a way that's appropriate because if you're going to make a faithful comic adaptation of the X-Men you've got to have horrendous continuity problems <laughs> that involve time travel oh second <sighs> mic drop of the episode <laughs> um Oh, the point I was going to make about X Men as well is like, were the were the original X Men movies that good that we feel a bit violated? That okay, this is you want to talk about triggers and for you know you say Force <laughs> Awakens and I get up I I sit up a bit. You talk about how good the X Men films are. I'm sorry, they were rubbish. X Men First Class was fun. Days of Future Past was great. The other three, one, two, and three. They're not good. X-Men 2 is not good. I will not tolerate this. I don't care if I'm the only person who thinks this. It's not a good... F- anyway, we're going to stop there. But it doesn't matter. Uh, no, I, I this think is good because today I don't have to mention your trigger words, your real trigger words. Force Awakens. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, but, the, no, so, yeah, there's a part of it that's like, it's sort of a reboot. It's a lot of fun different cast it's like they're breathing life into a franchise plus X-Men 3 left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths as yeah. did Wolverine Origins so people were kind of like I don't mind if if it means throwing everything out if it means you know we don't mind too much if you get rid of the continuity because so much of the continuity was bad that's the thing if the continuity is bad and people don't like it people don't mind it being never referenced again never brought up again yeah but um, 
that's specifically something for longer series but generally you know if you just do a story and then you do a prequel after it you've got enormous problems where you can't just start changing things and you've got to kind of stick to it and then there's the problem of anyway <laughs> I, I, Good point. I, it's another point that we're going to get to later. Okay. So well, we'll, we'll we'll get to the other point. It was with continuity as well. We were talking earlier about finding a space in the. Crack. Okay, that is exactly what. I was oh, about is that to what you were going to say? Yeah. So oh, right. I wasn't sure. We were like, no, no, no. That's that was that okay. Was next. So yeah. So this is the thing. Um, if you're going to tell a prequel, and you're going to go into the backstory of these characters, there has to be something in the backstory that's worth dramatizing. That for whatever reason you didn't dramatize the first time round. So you have to go back and do that. However, um, that thing that you're going back to, people want to see that thing, but it can't violate what they've already seen. So in the X-Men, what people really want to see is they want to see the friendship of Xavier and Magneto fall apart. Yeah, They get a friendship and it ends. That's what they want. And uh, you see that really well in the first two films. In Apocalypse, it doesn't work. Um, but in the first two films, that's that's the whole crux of those prequels, that backstory, which is fine because the other three X-Men films aren't really about that. Yeah. All we know is that they used to be friends and now they aren't. We don't know the exact details of what happened. And so it can really dramatize that. And we know where that's going. And um, plus it's uh, it, it like it's a place worth going to because it is so. Yeah. Ripe, surely, for a whole story. It's yeah. not like some tiny sliver of... Yeah, because you've got the whole how they became friends and then what ended their friendship. Yeah, so you've got yeah. two really nice sort of elements to it. Um, and it's a relationship that isn't shown in, up in the other X-Men cast. Yeah. And with Star Wars, the prequels, I mean, all about Obi-Wan and Vader, Vader yeah. Anakin becoming Vader. Uh, the And that... Dry, so the the contradiction is, on the one hand, the audience specifically wants to see the backstory even though they know how it's going to end yeah and so the writer has to find a way of the writer of a prequel has to find a way to tell that story in such a way that it constantly provides su- surprise and is a great turning point after turning point after turning point even though the audience knows where it's going which is the problem of dramatic irony except unlike dramatic irony where you're writing a story you as the writer can go back and forth and change what you've foreshadowed because the prequel's done and it's out there you can't change it you're locked in so it's like it's it would be as if you had written a story in dramatic irony and written the dramatic irony bits and then told yourself you can never ever change them Mm. um and without even realizing what the rest of the story is going to be about so it it could be this thing so you have to find a place that's worth telling uh, the prequels about this is one of the big problems when they did they did a prequel to um, the Watchmen in comics yes called Before Watchmen they did a bunch of them and I just remember when they announced it and I thought who looked at Watchmen and thought yeah there's a lot of unexplored backstory here <laughs> these characters are fully exhausted and I, I remember sitting down and I could think of only three three prequel ideas from the whole of it three one is the Minutemen yeah. And that one's a given because even Alan Moore considered doing that prequel. Yeah. Um, until DC kind of stole the the rights of Watchmen from him, so he he dropped it. But there was this thing about doing the Minutemen as a prequel. That's an obvious one. 
Another obvious prequel, I think, is the Ozymandias... Not Ozymandias prequel. The Night Owl-Rorschach friendship. Yeah. We never saw them as a crime-fighting duo, so you could do a story about them being a crime-fighting duo and why their friendship slowly peters out. And then the third one is the comedian going to the island where he finds out the plan, the squid plan and everything. Ah, uh, yeah. Because yeah. he got that. So you, you all the stuff from the comedian's point of view, you never actually see the mission the that start, comedian is uh, Yeah, this, he's found out just before, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, well, it's the, it's the reason when he goes to cry, he goes to Moloch's bed and cries. Yeah. Um, it, th- there's a whole thing that tells you what happened. That he went to the island, found the stuff, and then realized what was going on, and then broke down, and then he gets killed. But what we never saw was from the comedian's point of view. Yeah, that could be an idea for a prequel, maybe. But in all these cases, um, I mean, the minute th- th- there's nothing, there's nothing really interesting about them other than it's filling in little exposition. Yeah, you're not really seeing a story unfold. Um, I mean, because Night Owl and Rorschach, they know it's not like they become enemies. There isn't much of a turn. They go from being friends to not really being friends. There isn't much of a turn there, so it's not very interesting. Yeah, which is the problem. Which is, it's not like Xavier and. Um... Yeah, it's it's like not only do you have to find a space in the back backstory that you can tell a story in, but the story actually has to be a story. It has to have a full turning point. They have to go from X to Y, and if they don't, it's not much of a story. Hmm. Um, and so Rorschach's friendship goes from uh, their crime finding duos to estranged. Is not is is something nice for a short story maybe, but not for a full thing. Whereas Magneto, they go from best of friends to worst of enemies. Yeah. Uh, Anakin and Obi Wan, best of friends, worst of enemies. He goes from good Jedi to head of the Empire. So there's a huge change. Yeah. In that story. So in the backstory, we know this. That see, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for in the backstory. Is there an enormous change, an enormous turning point that we can dramatize? And if the answer is yes, then you go, okay, now you have the problem of how do you dramatize it in a way that's interesting? I tell you a, a, worth, a, a point worth bringing up whilst, mm. we're, whilst you just mentioned Star Wars, Rogue One. Right. That's a prequel. Yeah. It's an excellent idea for a prequel. Yeah. That- Right. Yeah, I mean those trailers. When I heard yeah. the, when I heard the premise, right. I thought it was like, like oh Star Wars Rogue One. I remember when I first saw the pictures, like, it's just about Rogue Squadron, or whatever. It's about pilots. That doesn't yeah. sound interesting. No, it's the guys that stole the Death Star plans. And I was just, oh, yeah. oh, that's brilliant. That's yeah. absolutely brilliant that that you took that and you found because that's got a great story to it. That's right? a great crack. And in we the, story and the thing is, we don't know how it's going to turn out. All we know is that the Death Star plans get to the rebels, yeah. but we don't know what happens to any of those characters. Yep. they could all die. They could all live. They could all become Chinese mongoose. Who knows? Like it could be anything. Star Wars. Um, but everyone is cats. Everyone is cats. Uh, but yeah, Rogue One is a ex- brilliant example of a prequel uh, idea because there's something there. Um, I I actually I remember thinking when I saw Terminator Genesis, I was like, oh, if you really want a good prequel, Terminator 1984. Just tell the story of how John Connor gets. Kyle Reese to go back in time that's the story that's the prequel and you want another you want another Terminator sequel how about this Terminator 1995 if you can't think of telling 
the story of how John Connor steals a Terminator and reprograms it to save himself. If you don't think that's a good story, you don't deserve the Terminator franchise. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a, that's it. There's a pre- you just tell it from John Connor's point of view. You show it from the future because we didn't see any of that stuff. No. So we get to see all that stuff. We know how it turns out, but we don't know what's going to happen to half these characters because half these characters that will be in it we've never heard of before, and they're not important enough that they should have been mentioned. No. They're tan- the secondary tangential characters. So that's the thing. So that you see, yeah, it's exactly you're looking for. A turning point, and preferably one that involves a cast that is tangential. You see, if the cast is completely removed, you risk the audience not caring. I think that neatly brings us on to one of the points we were going to get to, which was interest. Because you want the yeah. audience interested. Yeah, they have to be interested in the turning point. The turning point has to be interesting to them. Yeah. And they have to be interested in the characters that are telling it. And you see, so one of the obvious ways to do a prequel is to tell tell it from set, from a character's point. Like, Better Call Saul is a prequel. Yeah. Right? And it's not told from Walt's point of view. If Walter <laughs> was a prequel to Breaking Bad, but from Walt's point of view, it would be rather upsettingly dull. Okay? <laughs> uh, I mean, the most you could hope for is Gretchen and Elliot. Sure. That story. That's that's not an interesting story. No. Right? So the it's other the thing... the only thing. Yeah, that's it. So if you're not going to put the main characters in, well, then you have to... Okay, so you're looking for a major turning point. If it involves the main characters, you have the continuity problem. You have the continuity problem anyway. But if it involves the main characters, you have a major continuity problem. If it doesn't involve the main characters, then the interest drops because, like, who cares? I didn't watch... Breaking Bad or whatever for so and so but Saul and Mike we love Saul and Mike yeah we want more Saul and Mike Saul and Mike are great let's get more of them so yeah we get a prequel about Saul and Mike those are two secondary characters we love uh, there's obviously a great turning point in Saul where he goes from Jimmy McGill to Saul Goodman yeah and Mike goes from cop to criminal yeah so they went okay we've got these two great things got these two characters and the best thing about it is because Breaking Bad took almost exclusively from Walt's point of view we haven't explained how any of any of the things that happened to them all you have the <laughs> the only bits you do have are the bits they have great fun with which are all the references that yeah. uh, Saul made in the show yeah like one time this happened to me yeah and like that makes it into the exactly. show and you're just like the Kevin Costner great. thing and yeah, yeah. So there's all, but the the thing is they can keep we so better call Saul's amazing because I don't know how he ends up as Saul Goodman. No, we don't know what's going to turn him into Saul Goodman. They spent so much time setting up Jimmy McGill that we honestly don't know what it would take to turn him into Saul. Uh, same with Mike. Yeah. What would it take to turn Mike into Mike, the fixer? So we're slowly seeing them happen. Oddly, right now, Mike seems closer than, um, than Jimmy seems to Saul. But anyway, okay. Yeah. So the interest is an so issue. The, the interest is an issue. You have to find, so you have to find a turning point yeah. that uh, is worth telling. You have to find um, characters that you can tell it with. And then you have to find a way of doing it that doesn't violate what the audience already knows. So, you have to, so you're looking for, I suppose, uh, mystery in the sense that you're looking for something the audience doesn't know, a turning point the audience does know about because the audience is expecting 
that turning point to happen. I mean, even yeah. if they didn't know about the turning point, even if you never point... Like, no one in Breaking Bad does it point out that Jimmy was a nice person. No. it's Saul's always a jerk. But as soon as they start Better Call Saul, you see he's a good person. He's 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 really hard-working. And that generates... That the... immediately makes you go, well, how does he become Saul? Yeah. So straight away, that fact that we know he ends up as Saul is a thing, right? So you have to have enough so the on the one hand it's just such a balancing act you've got to find the turning point you've got to make sure that the audience wants to know the turning point how the turning point is going to turn out and everything but at the same time the only way they will have any interest is if they know how it ends yeah. then you have to surprise them right so how do you <laughs> how, how the hell do you how, offer fresh so, insight yeah, into a character and so yeah finding secondary cast is great but then you know as a, Rogue One I didn't care about until I found out it was the Death Star plans. And even then, I don't care about the individual characters, right? Hmm. I'm more excited to see, oh, I eventually will care, right? (laughs) But at the moment, what's the most exciting thing about Rogue One? Darth Vader chasing them. I I have only recently... I was excited before I heard Darth Vader was in it. Oh, I was excited beforehand, but I was like, oh, that's going to be such a cool story, them stealing Rogue One. But that's because it's just a, a... idea when you stop and think well what's actually cool about that and you realize i'm looking for the plans yeah right he's he storm the beginning of star wars is him looking for those plans yeah so he's tasked with finding it's like i kind of want to see vader take on these guys <laughs> and there is a problem which is i mean this is a serious problem for the film that they have to deal with which is the fact that no han no luke no nothing the prequels had obi-wan yeah Will we get Ewan McGregor in Rogue One? I doubt it. I seriously doubt You'd it. You'd assume not. But he should be. Given that he's... Because I want him to be. In, uh, isn't he um, Actually, makes a hermit no sense. by that point? It makes, it makes no, no sense. It makes no sense because if he had uh, if he had been on the Death Star plan run, why is he on Tatooine being given the Death Star plan? Exactly. So he can't be in it. Exactly. Unless they want to fudge continuity. Time travel. Time travel. Um, but... In, but like so they don't have they don't have Obi-Wan they don't have Luke they don't have Han they don't have Chewie so they've they, got no one they've got no one they've got z- the only character they have is Vader and the Emperor Boba Fett maybe Boba Fett Boba Fett maybe but you see what I mean they, at least break, Better Call Saul has Saul and Mike sure this doesn't so it's co- totally resting on the premise that the heist in the Star Wars universe they've got the Star Wars universe that's what they've got Yes, and so you're hoping that that heist is going to be amazing, um, and it might be, but we don't know, right? But hopefully it will. Um, Are you imagining a, an Ocean's Eleven type heist? Because I am now. Yeah, <laughs> be great. Um, but so, but better call Saul. We've got Saul. We've got Mike. And as soon as it starts up, we know the trajectory they're heading on, and now yeah. we want to see it play out. And then we realise there's all kinds of things that we don't know how they got started like I, Gus oh with um, sorry back to Better Call Saul yeah. I was just going to say on the Star Wars I think you made an interesting point that's just worth um, pausing on the fact that the link is the Star Wars universe I think that yeah. replaces the characters like well, it is a it is a, an interesting enough universe in, no you see if no? You, no because they do Star Wars Rebels and they do Star Wars this and there's all kinds of Star Wars spin-offs uh, and none of them true. are interesting uh it's interesting because the Death Star plans are so important to the first film. Yeah, okay. And yeah, because inherently right. the premise 
is exciting. Yeah. They're raiding the Death Star for the Death Star plans is just really cool. The problem is, is like, yeah, but who, if you could, right, forget continuity, you kind of want Han Solo on that. <laughs> right? You Forgetting want, continuity. Forgetting continuity. You yeah. want Luke and Han and Obi-Wan storming the Death Star. We've seen them do it already, but this time for the Death Star plan. Do you know what I mean? It's like, if you could put those characters in that film, you'll want to put them in that yeah. film, but they don't make sense to. So they have to... So they're, they're trying to sell it on... Look, we don't know anything about these characters, so we, as the audience, get to imagine that these characters are going to be fun. And the premise is very exciting because it's so tied... It's such a great turning point in the backstory. Yeah. It's just a great little thing. but it, And so we have enormous interest in it. But that's not the same thing as sitting down watching it and realizing all the characters are rubbish. None of the characters we want are there, blah, 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 which might be the case. Hopefully yeah. it won't be. Uh, I'm really hoping it won't be, but that could be the thing. Yeah. Um, uh, for example, in, you know, in Middle Earth, they went, let's do The Hobbit. That was a prequel. Yes. Right, The Hobbit. Even though The Hobbit comes out before Middle Earth. Yeah. They did that as a prequel. And it doesn't set anything up to do with Middle Earth, with Lord of the Rings. The whole thing of The Hobbit that people are excited about is Bilbo getting the ring. Bilbo getting the ring is a scene in The Hobbit. The Hobbit has nothing to do with the ring. The Hobbit is about dwarves getting a mountain back. And you go, I don't care. Because I know Middle-earth isn't right, living or falling by this. In fact, The Hobbit makes a huge mistake because the scale of it, they're constantly talking about the war that's building up which is going to be the Lord of the Rings, the yeah. War of the Ring. They're building, talking about that, but <clears throat> the story isn't about that. That's background dressing as they walk through Middle-earth going, huh, you see that war coming? Woof! By the way, let's steal some gems from the dragon. And it just seems tiny yeah. and really dull. The only time it gets interesting in Lord of the Rings is when the necromancer's involved. The Sorry, Hobbit, the Hobbit yeah. beg your pardon. Is when the necromancer gets involved, but then that can't go anywhere because we've seen the War of the Ring and Bilbo getting the ring. And you realise there's a reason why The Hobbit is one book. <laughs> and there's a reason why the film probably should have been one film. Maybe two at most. But three films... I mean, Peter Jackson didn't want to do three films. It was extended to three films so they could have more money mm. come in. And they actually shut down production of The Hobbit as they started filming it, uh, the third film because they had no script and no production. They were literally just fighting random big war scenes because they knew there'd be a big battle they're just filming them at random and they shut down production for six months while they tried to get things together because Jackson didn't even have time to get ready because Guillermo del Toro was supposed to do it oh, and when he left the yeah. project he had to jump in straight away and he hadn't done any of the pre-production that you need to do it's it, it, like Peter Jackson's an honest man and he tried the best he could but um, they they rushed it in the same way Iron Man two was rushed or whatever that happened, but the so the Hobbit is this huge problem because it's focusing on characters we don't know anything about, a turning point we don't know anything about or care about, no, none of it's relevant or germane to the Lord of the Rings. It's just set in Middle Earth, and like as much as I love Middle Earth, that's it's not interesting. I don't get why I've gone back. So there. it's a good counter and it's, it's a good counterpoint to what I just said yeah, about the Star Wars. Exactly. Not being enough. And not only that, it would be fine though. Like Indiana Jones would be fine. Right. If it was episodic. Sure. But Lord of the Rings isn't episodic. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense to just do a random, let's have a random encounter in middle earth. Okay. Then 
Let's steer this around to a terrific example. Monsters University. Monsters University. Monsters University. Ah, Pixar. So, Monsters University, um, what they did is they did a similar thing to Vertical Saw, which is there wasn't the turning point in Monsters, Inc. But they, by starting the prequel at a certain point, they immediately create one in the backstory. Yeah. Namely, that Mike wants to be a scarer and that Sully and Mike aren't friends. Yeah. And so immediately we get the sense, okay, this story is about Mike and Sully becoming scarers. And we know Mike isn't a scarer. Okay? So it's a, somehow and they really push in that Mike all Mike wants to do is prove that he's scary. Mm. So we know that somehow Mike is going to end up not being a scarer and that he and Sully are going to end up being friends. So they create this big turning point, which is their relationship, by which setting is, them up in such a polarised situation. Yeah, which is terrific, really, because yeah. you don't watch Monsters, Inc. and go, hmm, I wonder how this came to be, or right. anything. Like, it's such a complete, wonderful story yes, full of its finished. own right. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's fully finished yeah. and exhausted. But then, yeah. you go just by going back to that place in time, you think, whoa, okay. Yeah, so the, actually, the, the, the writers from Monsters University realized that they're friends in Monsters Inc. Yeah. But there's none of none of the backstory of how they became friends or anything like that is actually in the film. And therefore they can rewrite that history. Provided yeah. they don't contradict what what where it starts. Yeah. Unlike Watchmen, for example, where the backstory is so fully explored. Yeah. How do you go back and find something? It's it's been fully explored. But uh, because Monsters Inc., they didn't explore it. It's it's just they're just friends. They don't go anywhere into their depth of their relationship at all. They went. There's a thing here we can take advantage of. Hmm. So let's go back and tell that. Let's do that. Let's let's uh, let's have this this major turning point in their relationship. The audience knows they're going to be friends, but we're going to make it look like they're really not going to be friends. And Monsters University really plays up their hatred for each other. Yes. They really don't like each other for the vast majority of that film. It's not like, oh, they kind of get on but don't. It's like, no, they really don't like each other. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, how can we force them into this situation? How can we make them into friends? And so we get to see that transpire because they, so much like Saul and Mike, they're so polarized from where they are at the start of Monsters Inc. You go. How do you change? How do you get that character to get to this point? How does that change of fortune? How does that change of character mm. happen when they're so apart? And then you're constantly. You actually get to have some fun with the dramatic irony, which is you get to keep doing things that would normally tell them, yeah, they're not going in that direction. You go, but hold on, hold on, hold on. We know they end up there. How? Don't they? Why you don't go too far? It's been a little while since I've seen it now. Yes. Um, uh, but don't, don't they also have fun with um, Steve Buscemi's character as well? Yes. The villain from the yes from the first one uh, isn't. Am I right? I think he's he's a bit Randall. more meek. Uh, Randall, thank you. He's well, a bit more meek he's and meek friendly. And yeah, he might get on. That's right. So again, they get to see the subplot. Yeah. They do and the so same we, and thing. And we get to see Randall become a guy they don't like. Yeah. So they do the opposite thing They do with, the opposite with thing Sully. with that. Um, and they also develop the monster's world a bit more. So we get to see an aspect of the world we hadn't seen before. Yeah. So it's not Monsters, Inc. 
in the and they like they're working in a scaring factory, yeah. working their way up the ladder. <laughs> now we're in the education we're sector. In, yeah, we're in the universe. Yeah, we're, they're in they're in their university, and they have all the fun of the university. The genre is different. Yeah, they shift genre entirely, so they create a lot of ammunition by going. Look, we don't have to tell anything close to the same story as the first one. Um, we just have to end where the first one started. That's all we have to do. But there's enough, there's enough space here that we can do all kinds of different things. They change genre. They change setting. They polarize the cast at the start of this film with where we know they're going to end up to a point where you go, how are they going to get to that? Um, and as a result, they find a turning point that interests us because we loved Mike and Sully in the first one. Uh, they don't focus on secondary characters, which is great. Um, so we have a lot of interest to carry us through. It's not like it's ba- about two characters in the background of Monsters, Inc. It's about the protagonists of Monsters, yeah. Inc. Um, and the nature of the story being them going through the Academy says everything that happens here doesn't there's, inherently doesn't have to be referenced in the next one. Yeah, we just have to be careful that nothing happens here that should have been, like if Mike lost a leg. Yeah. Okay, or something like that. So, it's provided we don't violate anything, provided we don't do anything that should be referenced, something that would have been germane in Monsters Inc., um, we can do whatever we want. We've created a whole new avenue to explore these characters in, and people want to see them explore because they love these characters. These are the main characters of the franchise. So let's do that. Um, what else did we say uh, was the thing uh, oh insight yeah you get insight into the characters did we mention insight before we uh, we did yeah it was just towards the end okay yeah because you need to have an insight into the world and the characters and yeah. so forth it was saying like what what are you going to say about oh that's the right yeah that isn't fully yeah realized. exactly and then you can add, you can also lie about things that you thought were said add yeah, subtext yeah. to things yeah so this does that as well it gives us insight into these characters because now when we see mike helping sully scare we know how important scaring is to mike and now we get see mike and sully the way it worked was mike was sully's personal trainer yeah and Mike is just wonderful and he's really and we think it's because they're really close friends they're professionals all that stuff but now there's this added layer of insight which is the reason Mike pushes Sully so hard to be the best scarer ever is because Mike can't can't be a scarer doesn't it which makes it quite poignant doesn't it yeah doesn't it make it even more special now when you look at the end of Monsters Inc when Mike eventually does become yes yeah, uh, uh, not a scarer because they're not making, no, yeah. not scaring them. But when, he when they starts find out laughter produces yeah. more energy than scares, yeah, and he's perfect for that. Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful, right? It makes that even more, yeah, beautiful. So the whole of Monsters Inc. gets this extra layer of insight because uh, we see where Mike came from, yeah, and how Sully got there, and then the fact that Sully helps Mike out becomes his trainer. Yeah, shows how deep their friendship goes because Sully has no jealousy no bitterness about it or anything like that so the, the there's a huge amount of insight into these characters because of that and then also it does this amazing thing Monsters University which is it ends and it doesn't have the ending you thought it would because they so get you... drummed out of university they actually don't become scarers either one of them yeah they get expelled I loved that yeah and you go what what yeah like Sully but Sully is a scarer Mike works with Sully 
and they just get expelled at the end and then in the credit resolution they explain how they get from one place to the other yeah and you're just well <laughs> well done so really all they've told is a completely separate story yeah yeah they found out that they could and they, in a way they used our dramatic irony against us yeah because we were so certain we knew where it was going they, Which is they just could like, throw surprises at us just like what Pixar would do yeah they, th- they do things because you're thinking okay they've done this thing but they'll get out of it and when they yeah. go no no they don't get out of it you go oh and thinking ab- <laughs> thinking about it that the, the stuff you see in the resolution yes. is just the montage of them joining the company is uh, is it in the mail room yes and they just work their way up like yes. that's it and, and also there's a great gag where you find out why the abominable snowman was exiled. Ah, oh, I've forgotten the gag. Remind me. Well, in the in the Monsters Inc., you think he's been exiled because like he gave away the fact that he's a monster and that yeah. people know about him and that stuff. But actually, it turns out that he was just not very good at the mail. <laughs> and he was he worked in the mail room and he got in trouble and he did the wrong thing and he just got he gets kicked out of the mail room. He wasn't he you think he was a scarer yeah. that got drummed out of the industry, but actually he was a mail room guy and he got in so trouble. So I don't even waste that. They use no. that as a joke. Everything, yeah. Uh, yeah, th- that that whole resolution, that whole story of how they actually became scarers, which you think is what's driving the movie. Yeah. Uh could have been a line of dialogue of like backstory in the original movie. Yeah. Like yeah, exactly. How did you become scarers? We joined the company in the mailroom. Yeah. Done. We worked our way up. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of stuff. But um you see that's that's the, like that you have to find an you have to find an area where there's something that you can tell. So you have to find that space to tell the story in. You then have to once you've found that space, use that space to add insight to the other one because people want to see the insight. Yeah, into their characters. Then once you've done that, You've also got the problem of dealing with continuity. You've got to keep the audience's interest by focusing on the characters. Uh, but at the same time, you can't do something that's unimportant. There's this whole huge balancing act. The Monsters University just nails it. Nails it. It's so hard to do. This is why there's so many bad prequels. Monsters University and Better Call Saul are the best prequels. They're so good. Is that it? You do, is that, are we cementing that? I, I Definitely. How can you do better than those? Can you think? Of, I'll tell you how you can do better. At some point, I'm going to put up on YouTube my Star Wars prequel rewrites, <laughs> where basically all this stuff that I the reason that I've all this stuff is kind of catalogued is because I made a list of all the things that a prequel has to deal with after seeing why, how the Star Wars prequels failed and what it would take to fix them, and things like adding subtext to lines in the original trilogy, yeah. things like that. So at one point, maybe I'll put this up on YouTube my Star Wars rewrite, <laughs> but um. But yeah, they're really great. They they can solve th- all these things. Can you think of another prequel that comes close to uh, to monsters? Well, I mean, I liked the X Men ones. Put you on the spot there. I liked the X Men ones. Um, you see, this whole podcast came about because Stephen Chown on Twitter said, "Hey, let's do one on prequels." Because you talked about sequels doing pre- on prequels, and so he and I were trying to come up with a list of prequels to do, and he mentioned some like uh, the prequel to Hunt for the Red October, I think. There's a prequel to Hunt for the Red October. Yeah, and, a, and he mentioned that he like he's really actiony. Why is he so meek in the in the oh, original? Uh, he mentioned uh, Stu Stu Cork mentioned Back to the Future Three as a prequel. <laughs> 
Uh, no, see, I read this Twitter conversation, but I never scrolled back up to yeah. the original. I didn't know um, why. More Rats takes place a day before Clerks. <laughs> um, I mentioned Temple of Doom, but it wasn't a real sequel. Yeah. And then when I realised Monsters University, that was it. It was solved. So we couldn't come up with a lot of good ones. But Monsters yeah. University, Better Call Saul, they're really good prequels. So didn't, I'm guessing Temple they... of Doom is a prequel, technically, but it's really good. I'm guessing know? nobody mentioned Prometheus. Oh. <laughs> What did we say about trigger words? <laughs> I didn't know Prometheus was a trigger word. I'd forgotten. That's brought up a lot of angry memories. <laughs> a lot of angry memories. Um, I have, based on um, your and and another of our friends' anti-recommendations. Oh, Will. No, it's Dan. But, oh, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he, I have, I have sh- shared a car with him for three hours and he has... <laughs> scene for scene explained exactly why that movie is terrible so I don't feel like I need to see it I, um, I would but, but no I, I, I'm not going to It's I, I loved Will's analysis of why it's so bad which was I love this he wrote an article for it and I forget what it was put in maybe the Telegraph or something I forget it was online somewhere um, but he did this wonderful thing because there's a bit in Prometheus where they find the dead body of the alien engineer and it's like seven foot tall or whatever and the guy goes back to the ship the archaeologist and is upset because the guy was dead and it's like oh we came all this way and we found nothing and he's like that's like Howard Carter finding the tomb of Tutankhamun and going ugh it's just dead except in this case Tutankhamun is seven foot tall blue and an alien (laughs) (laughs) it's like he's just going yeah well done sir that's the thing none of the characters and we're not going to talk about Prometheus. No. Okay. Forget Prometheus. But sorry, the the only reason the only it is reason, a prequel. The only reason I brought it up, other than it is a prequel, was um, I know there's a hundred and one problems with the movie, but surely one of the biggest is the um, is not including the alien. No. 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 The biggest problem with Prometheus is thinking that it was smart to do a prequel to Alien. <laughs> okay. No, I, that sounds facetious, but I'm serious. Horror, particularly, the monster requires mystery. Oh, I see where you're going. The yeah. only time you okay. can expose the mystery of a monster in horror is pretty much in the last, last final yeah. scene before the monster's killed. This is one of the reasons why horror sequels are so difficult. Okay? Aliens is a great horror sequel. See, I mentioned it, Stephen Schoen. Um, <laughs> Aliens is a great uh, sequel. Uh, but it's, but it shifts it's not horror, genre. It? Yeah. it goes from horror into action. So it starts off horror and then moves slowly into an action genre. But then Alien 3 and 4 are rubbish. Okay? <laughs> so going, oh, I know what would be really smart. Let's explain. Let's explain where the alien came from. That's not making the alien scarier and better and more long-lived. That's ruining the alien. You're going to exp- like, if you wanted to do a prequel to Alien, the worst thing you can do would be explain the origin of the alien, which is what they did. Because now the alien is so knowable, it won't scare anyone. We know everything about the alien. Mm. It can't surprise us. It's not scary. This isn't even good in action. In action, you want villains with mystery. In horror, it's absolutely paramount. So... That's the problem. It's the same problem with the Watchmen prequels. The problem is not, oh, we couldn't, we, you know, the prequel was told badly. See, the problem with the Star Wars prequels is they're done badly. Not that, oh, let's tell a story about 
how Anakin becomes Vader. The story of how Anakin becomes Vader is excellent. It's really great, particularly my rewrite of it <laughs> coming to YouTube soon. Uh, but no, th- that's a really great story. But going to Watchmen and going, let's explain how such and such a thing happened or whatever, that's that's not interesting. There's nothing there to tell. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a, that's what's what I would call the space problem. There isn't the space to tell that prequel. Alien doesn't have a space to tell the prequel because any space that you want to tell Alien in, well, first of all, you wouldn't be able to hear anyone screaming it, and therefore it wouldn't be very scary. Third mic drop. Oh, bam! Ah, uh, I'm on fire today. <laughs> um, but there, there isn't anything anywhere to go in the prequel. You ne- importantly, I think you, as you as you've already said, you need that space to yeah. create the horror in the original. Yeah, so you need the space to give the insight into the characters, this stuff, this stuff, and a lot of what you you see when you do dramatic irony, what you're going to do is you're going to get a lot of insight into the characters as you explain how and why they do something. Mm. That's not something you want in horror. <laughs> how and why is this person running for their lives? It's not an interesting question. So, doing prequels for horror for the alien is so misguided and so foolish um, for so many reasons. I mean, and it's just one of those things where, hey, this film did really well. Let's let's do more of them. And they, Some, they are doing two and three. Am I right? Uh, I don't know if they're going to do any more Prometheus. Oh, okay. got, no one really wants to see any more of okay. those awful films. Um, but, you know... It really is a trigger word for you. It's awful. Um, I need to make a, li- a list of these. But, but like, so, uh, Highlander is another one. There can be only one. That's the tagline of it. If you're going to do Highlander, don't do a sequel. Highlander is the exact opposite. Highlander you could do a prequel with. Right. <laughs> the Ramirez prequel of Highlander would be amazing. Forget Conor McLeod. It's just Sean Connery in ancient Egypt being immortal. Who doesn't want that film? Right? In fact, the way the Highlander is designed, um, there's all these Highlanders throughout time that are immortal. So you actually have a world of Highlanders all chasing the quickening. That could be very interesting to play with. The one problem is you all know how the quickening ends, which is Conor McLeod gets the quickening. So there's a big problem with the Highlander. Highlander could work really well as a long-form thing. But once Conor McLeod gets the quickening, that's the end of it. You don't go, oh yeah, they're from the planet Zeist. Zeist? Anyway, so Highlander's the exact opposite problem. There's no sequel space for it. There's only prequel space. Yeah. And even then, the prequel space is not particularly interesting once you once you go past Ramirez. Connor McLeod's fully exhausted, really. You might want to take a, a scene, like, you know, because he's immortal or something. Um, you might want to take one of his escapades in his hundred years of life, but really, he, there's not much to him. Kurgan is not... You know, Ramirez versus Kurgan could be interesting, because then you could play the Ramirez-Kurgan fight, but from the point of view of Ramirez and Kurgan, not yeah. Connor. But you see, what I mean? so you need that space, and Prometheus doesn't have the space for it. Whereas Medical Saul, Monsters Inc., they didn't. It's not that they 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 didn't just find the space; they created the space. They found an area that they could create the space for a prequel. Do you think that could be then the secret to it? I mean, let's come back to the inevitable question. What do we take to our own writing? Why would you write a prequel? <laughs> That's it. Okay, what do we take to our own writing? The, Nothing. The only reason you write a prequel is because the story you wrote has come out it, and it's done and it was so good 
people want more of it and you can't and you and you have two way you write a really great story series film whatever it doesn't matter you write a really great story you have two options to do another story in that world either it takes place before or it takes place after it's either a prequel or a sequel you do both in which case you just have to look and find where the space is to tell that story and tell that story that's it that's how prequels and sequels work if you're going into a sequel you have the problem of where to take characters now that you've ended the story so are these characters exhausted if they're exhausted then what's left to tell so you need to find a space to tell the sequel yeah if on the other hand you want to tell a prequel not only do you have to find the space problem but you also have the continuity problem and the interest problem and all these other problems so prequels are i think would be even harder and so therefore my feeling is the only reason to do a prequel or a sequel is because you've done so well that you want to do another story with these same characters. You've become Conan Doyle. Bravo. In which case, that's a good problem to solve. Why are you complaining? <laughs> On the other hand, if you're sitting there going like, I'm going to plan out my series. I'm going to do this one, then this one, and then I'm going to put a prequel in here. My point would be, why? Why are you putting a prequel in there? Why not just take what's important about the prequel and stick it in the first one and don't, don't hide it? Just tell your stories properly. Don't try and manipulate your audience into buying into a franchise that doesn't (laughs) exist. Just do it. If nothing else, then, it is just a good mental exercise. On the other hand, it could be fun to do a prequel. Plan Uh, a prequel. You could have fun with that. You could. I mean, you could do a thing where... uh, I can't keep up with you. Okay, look. When you're writing a story, there is the sense of, like, we're going to have a flashback halfway through. Now that I've created the interest in you to know something, I'm going to have a yeah. flashback to it. You could do that on a grand scale, where instead of going, okay, two acts in, you're going to want to know how, uh, Casablanca, right? They build the interest of what happened in Paris. Oh, see. Cut to flashback yeah, yeah, yeah. in Paris, yeah. right? You could conceivably do a series of stories where episode three... We've built up the interest. Now we're going to go back and explain something. I'm sure I've seen that somewhere. You could do that. That's fine. But that's not really a prequel in that sense. No. Uh, it's just choosing how to when to dramatize exposition, which is totally fine. What we're talking about specifically is going back into a story that's already been finished and written and then trying to find a story in the backstory that you can then dramatize fully as a separate story on its own or a yeah. separate series on its own. That stuff, you don't... That If you're going to do that, that's because you're, you're so successful. Bravo. Yeah, but it's, as I said, I think it's a good mental exercise. It's a great mental exercise. If only because if you're... I mean, you could have fun with that because it might help you de- develop the backstory of your character that you're writing. Mm. Like, if you're writing a single story about a certain... about a character you've invented, you might stop and go, what would the prequel be and what would the sequel be? Yeah. And then if you go, well, if the... Actually, that is a good point because I did that. So if nothing I, else... I did that as a creative exercise and I realised... Um, and I combined it all into one. Because I realised I took the best bits of the sequel and the best bits of the prequel and put it into the, I made one story out of it. So there you go. Because, you want to take all the best stuff. So it might be a way to get your mind triggered into writing, a backstory. So it could be a good exercise with individual characters in it your story. Be. I suppose. Yeah, you could do it. I mean, why not? Why I mean, it's not going to be wasted time, is it? No, why not? Have fun with that. I suppose it's just one of those things where. Um, it's just one of those things where seriously if you're writing a sequel or a prequel to a story it's because the first one did so well you got a chance to and in which case yeah okay you've got problems to fight and face and, <laughs> uh, and, that, and then you've got all these things but generally those problems will exist 
just by the nature of you having to try and find a place and planning for them is probably worse. Because if you plan a prequel or a sequel for something that you have no intention of doing a prequel or a sequel to, if you just plan it in advance, um, and it's not supposed to be a serial of some sort, uh, there's a good chance you're, sa you're hamstringing your current work because you're saving scenes for other things. Uh, that, do. Yeah, do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, oh, I don't want to put this scene in because I'll put it in my prequel. Well, yeah. you might never get to your prequel, so yeah. why have you left it out? If it's that great, find a way. For example, let's say that in Star Wars, you were writing Star Wars. You have no idea if you're going to do another one or anything. And you come up with this brilliant twist that uh, Vader and Obi-Wan are friends and whatever. You probably put that in Star Wars. You don't put it in Empire. Yeah. You don't wait for it. Um, you want to use that up straight away. But then on the other hand, if you are planning a series and franchise, then you have to think about where you're going to go. Yeah. In which case, you then have to save stuff. So it's, it's based on what you're trying to do. Bam. There's my help. <laughs> that was hard work today <laughs> Prometheus that was I'm never mentioning it again no don't Force Awakens <laughs> this has become a thing now yep it's a thing okay <laughs> okay 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 <laughs>